the biggest thing is to number one, to have that dream. And if you do feel stuck, like you're not moving forward toward it is to just be very intentional about ways in which you might make that dream become a reality. Because quite often when you have that dream, it's, it's just that it's this dream. You don't know how the heck you're going to get there and how you're going to make it happen. So it's not just about the dream. You have to think about, okay, well, how might that become a reality for me? So being open to new ideas, thinking about other ways you might approach something, working collaboratively with others and having a network of people who can speak into your life and help you understand things you might do to help you get there. And that's really what kind of drives the pursuit of the, the vision and the dream. It's uh, being very intentional about what it is you're doing. And when you follow that, I find that even if you get stuck, there are ways around that. Welcome to The Courageous Life, a podcast founded on the idea that taking risks, overcoming fears, and moving beyond the limits of our comfort zones are prerequisites for living meaningful and fulfilling lives. I'm your host, Joshua Steinfeld. And it's my mission to explore insights, practical strategies, and inspiring stories of everyday heroes that will empower more people to grow courage and awaken greatness. Today's episode is the second of two episodes in a sort of leadership mini-series that I've put together on The Courageous Life. As mentioned in the last episode, I did this once before, a little over a year and a half ago. At that time, interviewing Amy Edmondson, perhaps the foremost thinker on the topic of psychological safety in the workplace, Douglas Stone, author of Difficult Conversations, and thanks for the feedback, and Harvard Law School professor, and Kevin Cashman, an incredible leadership coach and author of Leadership from the Inside Out. These three incredible guests making up the first leadership miniseries on the show. And now this year, I'm excited to be bringing this format back with another two amazing guests, Dr. Jeffrey Hall, whom you heard from in the last episode, and Dr. Melvin Smith, the guest today. For anyone who's not familiar with Melvin, he's a professor in the Department of Organizational Behavior and faculty director of executive education at the Weatherhead School of Management, Case Western Reserve University. Melvin's research and teaching focus on leadership and leadership development through coaching. His work has been published in numerous academic and practitioner outlets. He and colleagues Richard Boyatzis and Ellen Van Oosten are also co-authors of the book, Helping People Change, Coaching with Compassion for Lifelong Learning and Growth from Harvard Business Review Press. It's a thrill to have Melvin on the show. Today, we dove deep into topics from the book, Helping People Change including practices related to what he and others are calling renewal, which can be a very healthy and important counterbalance to stress. Melvin and I will also explore a question that I've been talking about with many other guests on the show, which is when my heart begins to close, how do I keep it open? In response, we'll talk about the power of questions to open the mind, the heart, to access creative thinking and problem solving. We'll discuss the role of compassion and positive relationships, including the importance of community. We'll also discuss emotional contagion and we'll explore the topic of resilience. This wide-ranging conversation includes a lot of eye-opening insights, 
as well as practical strategies for thriving in our lives. I'd encourage you to pause, to take notes, or even to re-listen to various parts of the conversation that you may want to hear again. And if you'd like to dive in deeper, I've put together show notes for this episode, which can be found at joshuasteinfeld.com forward slash podcast. Finally, if you'd like to pick up the book, Helping People Change, you can do so now wherever books are sold. All right, I think that's enough of an intro from me. Without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Melvin Smith. Okay, Melvin, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for having me, Joshua. Yeah, looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, it's an honor to be able to sit down with you. I'm so excited we finally made this happen. I know it's been uh, quite some time that we've been trying to have this conversation. So really looking forward to it. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for your persistence. And uh, yeah, I'm glad (laughs) to be able to sit down with you today. So Melvin, where I usually start with guests, because it is the courageous life, is by asking if there was any sort of adversity or challenge that you may have faced. And this could really be anywhere in your life. It could be early life, could be the start of your career anywhere along the road that you feel had a particularly strong influence on your trajectory, largely of what you're doing professionally today. Does anything like that come to mind for you? Uh, Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, I don't know if I would call it adversity, because doing so would put me in that camp of people kind of focus on, I think, what people call first world problems, but, uh, uh, but definitely a challenge, I would say. So as I think about my kind of current professional life, That wasn't the path that I started on, but how I got here is when I was in school as an undergrad, before I even finished, I just knew in my heart I was going to be an entrepreneur. So I was going to start in the corporate world and then, you know, gain some experience, save money, and then kind of have my own business. That's kind of really what I always wanted. So I started on that path. That was the plan. Got married, had kids and did all that. And then as I was preparing myself to launch into this entrepreneurial kind of life, if you will. Every time I was getting close to saying, no, this is the idea, now's the time, my wife would say, oh, no, not quite yet. I'm not quite comfortable with you doing this yet. So I would put it on pause and you know, continue with my corporate career and then say, okay, now we're at a stage and I've got the idea and I've got the money. Now this is it. Let's and she'd say, no, not quite yet. <laughs> and then after several <laughs> kind of false starts like that, I realized that not quite yet in her mind really meant never because she's just not a risk taker. So she was not going to be comfortable with me kind of leaving the corporate world and launching into an entrepreneurial uh, venture. So for me, that was a true challenge and a bit of adversity from a personal standpoint, because I'd built my whole life and and dreams on being an entrepreneur. And and now I was in this situation where it looked like that just wasn't going to be a possibility because my wife was never going to be comfortable with that. So it was a a bit crushing temporarily, but I had always also thought about, okay, at some point after my kind of corporate career and after I do whatever I'm going to do in this entrepreneurial space, I wanted to do some kind of adjunct teaching potentially at the university level, maybe some consulting, speaking, that kind of thing, but on the latter end of life or at the the latter end of life. So um, I started thinking, well, if I'm not going to launch into this entrepreneurial thing, what if I looked at accelerating that and, and looking into what would it be like to just, you know, become a professor now, you know, earlier in my life and career? And what would that lifestyle be? And just coincidentally, right around the time that this was all happening, there was an organization called the PhD Project. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, no. uh, it's uh, an initiative that was formed 
to recruit underrepresented minorities from the corporate world and, and convince them to go back to school to get PhDs and to become academics to help diversify academia. Uh, so I started getting advertisements and talking to people who were part of that initiative and started getting really excited about it and attended a conference about it and thought, man, this is it. Uh, so so and, and a key conversation I had as I was exploring that was with a professor who described what she did as being an intellectual entrepreneur, you know, and her product is knowledge. And I thought, oh, that's it. That's my connection. I can still be an entrepreneur. I'll just do it as an academic. And then again, uh, knowledge is my product. So I got really excited about that and made the leap. And um, so as a result, I mean, I'm on the path and doing what I do now and love it completely. Uh, so, but it was that kind of challenge of, you know, having my dreams of becoming an entrepreneur thwarted at some point that really launched me in this direction and on this path. I'm so curious because, you know, I've, I've reread your book again, uh, yes. that you co-authored called Helping People Change. And one of the themes that is really prominent in the book is the idea of essentially dreaming big, having a right. vision for your life, for your career, and the impact that that has. And people can read the book if they want to get into specific exercises and things like that, and learn more about the benefits of doing this. But I'm curious about, because there may be people who are sort of at that point that you described, where right. it feels like I'm up against a barrier, or there's a challenge that's kind of getting in the way of this vision that I had. Is there anything that you can pull out that might be practical? Or it's like for people that are at that point, are there ways to sort of imagine or dream a little bit differently? Or I don't know exactly what it would be, but I think that there's there's so many uh, practical pieces within the book that are helpful when we right. might feel a little bit stuck for whatever reason, right? Whatever it is. So is there anything you could offer along those lines? Uh, yes, I, I would say the biggest thing is to number one, to have that dream and if you do feel stuck, like you're not moving forward toward it, is to just be very intentional about ways in which you might make that dream become a reality and, and thinking about, okay, what are all the possible pathways? Because quite often when you have that dream, it's, it's just that it's this dream. You don't know how the heck you're going to get there and how you're going to make it happen. So it's not just about the dream. You have to think about, okay, well, how might that become a reality for me. Uh, so being open to new ideas, thinking about other ways you might approach something, uh, working uh, collaboratively with others and having a network of people who can speak into your life and help you understand things you might do to help you get there. So, so, so there's an action component and really a, a notion of being intentional. So we talk about in the book, uh, we draw a lot on Richard Boyatzis's theory of intentional change. And that's really what kind of drives the pursuit of the, the vision and the dream. It's uh, being very intentional about what it is you're doing. And when you follow that, I find that even if you get stuck, there are ways around that. So, so being intentional and staying attached to the dream because that gives you the motivation to find those creative ways out of being stuck. Yeah, Melvin, I love that. And and one thing that comes up, and we can use this kind of as a segue into the rest of the conversation, is in the book, you also talk about essentially the importance of, and I'm simplifying a bit here, so please correct yeah. anything that's wrong, sure. but essentially the importance of positive emotion and an open, kind of an openness essentially, whether it be physiologically in the body, right. sort of an openness or an emotional openness that keeps us maybe hopeful or sort of moving forward. And you talk about the balance between 
having this sort of openness, which I think is referred to as the PEA or positive emotional attractor, think of positive emotions, having this sort of expansive quality. I feel joy or I feel hope and I feel a little more expanded, right? So the balance between that, having more of those, and also the value of stress as it can help us to focus, keep us, you know, moving forward, sort of energize us in certain ways. So there is a value to having um, some of these quote unquote kind of negative emotions or stressful experiences, but you really talk about you and the other authors, the importance of kind of this openness. And there's a little bit of a long-winded segue, so my apologies for that. But <laughs> no problem. Yeah. But it really ties into a broader theme on the show that I've been exploring with a lot of people, which is this question. And this comes from actually an author who you might be familiar with. His name is Mark Nepo, and he's mm. a poet. When I was talking with him, he said, you know, one of, from his perspective, one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves in this lifetime is when my heart begins to close down, mm. how do I keep it open? Right. And I sort of associate that a little bit with what you talk about in the book and this importance of this openness, these positive emotions. And I think about the times that we're in right now. Right. I think about the stresses and the broader social and environmental and cultural context and everything that's happening with the pandemic and social and racial injustice and everything that's been happening around the election in the US in particular. So there's a lot of the stress happening, which can be sort of this contracted state, people may be experiencing more of this sort of the heart closing down. We talk a little bit about how you think about the importance of how to respond in times like these, mm-hmm. in terms of finding renewal, finding this openness, finding ways to tap into this kind of capacity for hope. Yeah, you know, great. Yeah, great framing and great question. Yeah, especially given to your point, what we're going through right now uh, as a society, all of this is is even more important than it is, quote unquote, normally, uh, because it's always important, but it's even more important given what we're going through as a society today. Uh, yeah, so to start with renewal, uh, renewal is a process uh, of engaging in activities that ameliorate the effects of stress that you experience in your life. And we all experience that stress, just even day-to-day kind of, you know, chronic stress associated with just small things that kind of either frustrate or make us anxious, et cetera. But we, in times like these, experience even greater doses of that stress just because of all of the things we're bombarded by in, in society. And you mentioned the things like the pandemic, the associated economic crisis associated with it, racial injustice, social unrest, political division. I mean, you can't escape all of that right now. So we experience this stress, these negative emotions associated with that. And if not dealt with or responded to in some way, that just eats us up, literally. So you have to renew, you have to recover from that stress. And that's where renewal comes in. And renewal is then an activation of the parasympathetic nervous system in ways that allows your body to recover, rebound, uh, and renew from the effects of that stress. So things like when you're engaging in renewal activities and activating that parasympathetic nervous system, your breathing slows right? Your heart rate slows, your blood pressure is lowered, your muscles are more relaxed, your mind actually becomes more open. You're talking about the concept of openness to new ideas, and you're capable of learning new things and making new neural connections. So it puts you in this very healthy state of being able to, again, sustain yourself uh, for longer periods of time, of being able 
open to learning, growing, experiencing life in new ways. And those things get shut down when you're in that stress response state based on responding to these negative emotions, often coming from stimuli in the environment, but, but other things as well. And to your point, it's important to maintain that balance. So sometimes that stress is important because that helps us to survive, right? It triggers a survival mechanism within us, but we often spend too much time in that state and what the positive emotional attractor that you mentioned allows us to do through the renewal and through the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system is that allows us to thrive, right? So it's a negative emotional attractor and the stress associated with that allows us to survive, but it's that renewal and the positive emotional attractor in the parasympathetic nervous system that truly allows us to thrive in our lives. Melvin, one of the things I found interesting as we sort of tease out a little bit of a definition here and, yeah. and go into this a little bit was in the book, there was, I think, a sentence or two about just this sort of nuance, which is renewal is different, essentially, than rest or boredom in some ways. Yes. And then there was a little kind of, and I felt like this was almost like a teaser for me of like, and mindfulness can help with that. And I was like, <laughs> right. and I was kind of like, oh, say more, yeah. say more. So I'm curious right. about, if I can ask you, you know, like, can you talk a little bit about that distinction? Like the difference yes. between just, because I might be thinking about, oh, I get stressed and I need to rest, but you're talking right. about something that might be a little bit different. So we could tease that out. And then how mindfulness might actually help us to identify these times of renewal Maybe sure. create more of them. So maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and good job kind of teasing that out and what we wrote about in the book. And we do make that distinction. Now, that's not to say that rest and relaxation are not important because those indeed are important as well. But I would say that they're necessary, but not sufficient. So you do need, for instance, uh, the requisite amount of sleep. I mean, seven to eight hours for most of us. I and mean, that helps us be able to kind of reset our minds, prepare ourselves for new learning the next day, et cetera. And rest uh, and relaxation, and that's helpful as well. So sometimes if you're just really stressed, just being able to kind of just stop and take that break and allow yourself to rest and relax, that's beneficial. But you don't get the full restorative benefits of renewal from just resting. So if you have a very stressful day and you come home and just plop down on the couch and just veg out for three or four hours, that's great. It might feel like, ah, oh, that was good. I needed that. But it's not the same thing as renewal. And, and renewal activities are, are things that put you in that state that I described earlier are things like engaging in a meaningful and playful conversation with a loved one or playing with a, a dog or a pet that you love or getting some degree of moderate exercise or spending some time being mindful, like in, uh, engaging in a mindfulness meditation practice. Those types of things put you in a different state where, again, some of those things I described that, that are associated with, with renewal, those are triggered. And not all of those things are triggered when you're just resting or relaxing. So there is a distinction. And again, not that you need one and not the other. I mean, both are beneficial. Uh, so rest and relaxation are important. But again, they're not enough. Uh, and the connection to mindfulness is when you engage in some type of mindful practice and you're really in tune with and in touch with what's going on with you and your body at any given time, you begin to realize and recognize that powerful difference between just rest and true renewal. So for instance, when you engage in 
let's say just a 10 minute mindfulness meditation practice where you're really focusing on your breathing and maybe have a particular mantra or something you're trying to focus on. And you do that for just 10 minutes, you feel and notice something that you don't experience for just resting for 10 minutes. I mean, you notice your body is in a different state and it's hard to describe completely, but you can feel and be aware of that distinction and that difference. So being more mindful in touch with and in tune with what's going on with you can help you recognize and realize the difference between how you feel when you're rested versus how you feel when you truly are engaging in a variety of renewal activities. So that awareness that comes through mindfulness uh, is important because it helps you understand the importance and, and, and benefit of those types of activities that put you in that renewed state. Yeah, I, I think about it helps you sort of understand from, more from a place of wisdom or embodiment, mm. like what renewal actually feels like, um, yes. which I think in turn actually creates an opportunity for more, I'm just going to use these words, effective practice essentially no, yes. in the future, right? So I'm more right. likely once I know what renewal actually feels like the difference there, then I can practice more effectively as I move forward and engage with renewal. Um, yeah, no, you're right. And that word you use embodiment, that's, that's exactly it. So, so being in touch with and in tune with kind of somatically just understanding that feeling and the, the awareness of that does enable you to do the things necessary to create that uh, experience. So yeah, excellent. Yes. Awesome. Melvin, I had a, um, I want to talk a little bit about resilience as we're talking about this and, and kind of just get right. your thoughts on that. So one of the past guests on the show, she was the goalie or the goalkeeper for the Canadian women's national team. Right. Uh, her name is Steph Labe. And we were talking about resilience and we we're talking about, you know, one thing that I've seen, and this is just my experience, my perspective. So I don't intend it to be like the right <laughs> or the only one, but right. <laughs> my, my, in observing athletes and seeing their focus and how resilient they are and how strong they are. One of the things I kind of brought up with her was this association or perhaps like direct relationship between mm -hmm. recovery and resilience. Cause sometimes I think resilience can kind of get sort of branded in this way where it's like your ability to kind of grit your teeth and sort of keep going, like no matter what right? I'm resilient. Yeah. I bounce back and, and all right. these things. And my, my question kind of goes to, but some of the most resilient people in the world, like professional athletes who are pushing their bodies, the limits and engaging in this high pressure competition on like the world stage are so focused mm -hmm. on recovery. They're thinking about it. They're practicing recovery in all these different ways. And I think there's a tie here to what you're talking about with renewal. So mm -hmm. I'm curious about if we think about being resilient during these times, is a relationship in your mind between renewal experiences and trying to create more renewal in our life and sort of unlocking our capacity to be more resilient? Yeah, I, I think so. And there are different framings and, and, and views on what resilience is. I mean, I mean, there's a physical component or aspect to it that ties into somewhat this notion of recovery and having our body be more resilient in, in that particular way. Uh, there's also a mental and or emotional aspect associated with it. So, so I think that there is a, a, a connection. And I think through renewal, you build a capacity to recover more quickly from adversity, from physical stress and trauma and other things. So I think there's a definite link there. I mean, I don't do a lot of work specifically in the resilience space, but I do see that connection as to how engaging in renewal might make one more resilient uh, from a number of perspectives. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, one way I kind of conceptualize this, and this is just really simplified, but I think about, you know, in life, we're going to fall down. 
Right. You know, and then, and then a question becomes for me around resilience or one way to frame resilience is like, how quickly can I get back up? Mm -hmm. Can I recover? And like you were saying, if I am engaged in more renewal practices, that recovery period perhaps could be shorter. If I'm understanding right. you right. Yeah, and I think, and, and, and sometimes as I talk about renewal to folks, I um, use kind of the metaphor of a balloon. So, so as you're experiencing stress in your body, it's like you start out as a fully inflated balloon and then that air just starts to seep out of you. And then when you engage in renewal activities, that kind of reinflates your balloon. But it's not like, you know, you let yourself start out as this fully inflated balloon and then you kind of let the air kind of get, you know, seep out of you completely until you're just this crumpled up piece of rubber. And you kind of have this, this thing where you're just kind of depleted completely. It's more of this, this activity where renewal is this constant reinflation. So you, you're stressed and you kind of, you deflate somewhat, but then you engage in activities to reinflate and you, you stress more and you deflate and you inflate. And I think that ongoing renewal that exercise or practice of consistently reinflating after you deflate gives you greater capacity to 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 then endure and, and there's something about that that exercise or that process of renewal that gives you that resilience to continue to be at your best to be that fully inflated person because you've engaged in that ongoing practice of consistently you know inflating as you deflate so i mean i, you know, I think that there is a correlation there a connection to that recovery and re, uh, and renewal and that whole notion of being more resilient i think you develop that capacity to be resilient through that ongoing practice of renewal. Yeah, I love that. Melvin, when we were kind of corresponding months ago, you said, I really like to focus on practical application. <laughs> and I was like, this guy speaks my language. <laughs> so I got right. excited. And so, so if we get practical here, we move the conversation really practical. I know, you know, among other things, you're a professor, researcher, also a coach. Right. Um, and you work with coaches and, and things like this. And um, so I'm curious about if I come to you, maybe as a client or a friend or colleague, and I say, hey, Melvin, I want to build more renewal yeah. into my life, essentially, like something like that. How do you think about practically ways to do that? And do you have like one or two? I know there's a lot, like there's sure. a big list of renewal exercise, but there are like yeah. one or two favorites that you might have personally or, the, or that you tend to uh, offer to people? Yeah, great question. So, so first of all, I would start and often do start, whether I'm coaching someone or teaching a group and we're talking about kind of the importance of balancing and managing stress and renewal uh, and have them do a brief, what we call a holistic balance exercise. So when you think about renewal, there are a number of ways to renew, but we often talk about it and work with people from a practical standpoint of suggesting, okay, renewal is largely about achieving holistic balance. Achieving holistic balance involves focusing on activities that tap into the four dimensions that truly make us human, uh, our mind, our body, our hearts, and our spirit. And what I have people do is this holistic balance exercise asks you to think about, okay, if you think about your current life, what are you consistently doing on an ongoing basis in each of those four major dimensions or areas? What are you doing that focuses on your mind and growing and tapping into your mind? What are you doing that focuses on your body? where this includes, you know, diet, exercise, you know, rest, relaxation, et cetera, uh, nutrition. What are you doing that focuses on the heart, meaning uh, spending time with, again, loved ones, uh, engaging in meaningful, heartfelt relationships? And finally, what are you doing in the area of spirit, where you're tapping into something 
that's bigger than what you're doing day to day, but that really kind of gives your life a sense of meaning and purpose. So I often start with having people think about what are you doing consistently in each of those four areas? And then oftentimes people see like, wow, either I'm not doing much in any of those and there's an issue and a problem and I realize why I'm so burnt out. We talk about, okay, well, where would you like to start? Where would you like to do more? Which of those fears? Or sometimes there's, there's an obvious hold or gap. Well, I'm doing things with my body and I'm doing it, but yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not doing anything in the spirit space. So, so to me, that's a starting point to say, okay, if you're not balanced holistically in that way, what's a simple thing you can do in one of those areas where you feel you're lacking in activity? Uh, so, so to me, you ask what favorite. So for me, the first one, the big one, this kind of falls in the spirit space is if you don't have a vision or a dream for your future or something that truly gives your, you a sense of meaning and purpose in your life, that's a starting point. So I almost always have people think about what's your dream for your ideal future 10 to 15 years from now? And what's your personal vision? And that in and of itself, connecting to that is a very renewing activity. So that's one. Uh, simple ones, kind of even within the body space. I mean, things, or even and this kind of overlaps multiple spaces, actually. I mentioned kind of uh, mindfulness meditation. So one of my favorites now, and one of the easiest is to engage in some, some type of meditative practice. And it doesn't have to be sophisticated. Some people say, oh, I don't know how to meditate. Well, just even if you kind of just get, develop a discipline of just start your morning with, uh, and even as little as like a 10 minute, you know, guided meditation. So now during this period of COVID, where I'm working from home mostly. There's not even the commute to work where you have this place to kind of, you know, shift your mind. So I walk from upstairs to my downstairs office. But every day before I jump into my email and the task at hand, et cetera, even without engaging in, in a long extended meditative practice, I just do a quick guided 10 minute meditation daily. And that kind of just sets the frame and I can feel what it does to my body. I can feel what it does to my mind, but just that 10 minutes it sets the tone. So that's an easy one. And some people say, well, I don't have 10 minutes. I'm too busy. And when that, people say that, I say, okay, well, we need to have another conversation if you can't find 10 minutes. But, <laughs> but, but people who do say that, another practice is I say, well, just take one minute. Anytime you feel even that you, it's in the moment when you feel that stress, just take one minute and engage in a minute of deep breathing and see if that doesn't make a difference. And to see if you don't feel a difference in doing that. And just one minute of deep breathing uh, can often help people see like, wow, that's huge. So even something that simple, just take a minute periodically when you feel stress to just stop, close your eyes, wherever, and just a minute, deep breathing. And you can kind of feel, we talked about that parasympathetic nervous system, you can feel your heart rate slow down. You know, your breath is obviously slower and deeper when you do that. You can feel your muscles relax. Your mind begins to open. You have greater clarity. So, so those are some of the, the things that I use as kind of go-tos as is my favorite activities to suggest and or do personally. Again, the vision at a bigger level or larger macro level, uh, but in the moment, mindfulness meditation, even if it's just five or 10 minutes. And again, if you want to break it down to an even smaller chunk of time, just a minute of deep breathing. Very, very practical, very, very helpful. I love this because I, you know, the lens through which I'm looking is kind of around this question or this thread. When my heart begins to close, how do I keep it right. open? Right. Or if I think about physically just beyond the heart, when my system starts to close down, these negative emotions that start to move into the stress state. You talked about accessing renewal through these different practices. Right. And I see an opening, you know, like the body begins to open, heart yes. rate begins to slow down through deep breathing. So I think it's so interesting to see 
just that there are really practical things I can do to sort of reopen when I begin to close down. And that's, that's pretty awesome. Elvin. It's pretty yeah. helpful. Right. Right. So you talked about, you know, the spirit dimension and just out of my own curiosity, you talked about, you know, this, this having a dream or a vision for your life and the question that you might ask, I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and that I'm just curious about if I'm going to sit down with you and, or I'm just listening to this right now. I'm listening right. to you talk about this and I'm thinking about, I really want to explore that a little bit more. I want to, maybe I want to journal about it. Maybe I want to talk to somebody about it. Are there additional questions that might be really good for reflection? That if I'm listening right now, I could kind of jot down a question and think about, maybe it's a coaching question and kind of a cool side note here from the book is that in the book, you talk about the power of questions in creating this openness. Right, like exactly. Even just asking a question can sort of open the heart back up or open us up to ideas, possibilities, these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. It's just so a number of things. So, I mean, we have countless exercises and reflections we have people kind of go through to really help them frame uh, a personal vision. But to me, my favorite question is probably the most simple. And that's just, if your life were perfect 10 to 15 years from now, what would that look like? And just asking that question and have people reflect upon that is so, so powerful uh, because very often we don't allow ourselves to go there and think about that or think in those terms. To me, that's the one. That's If I could only ask one question, that would be it. If your life were perfect 10 to 15 years from now, what would that look like? Uh, and just have them just reflect and talk about that. But there are other things that you can do to kind of help people frame uh, a dream or vision of the future. One is that you can ask questions and what I consider to be a big bucket of things that tap into their passions. Uh, so about what would you love to do? What experiences would you love to have? You know, things like that and, and let people just kind of go in that space. There's another big bucket around, you can have people think about and process things around their values. So what's most important to you in your life? You know, if you had to kind of list maybe your top five values that you would say, this is it, this is a part of who you are and who you want to be in your life, you know, what's most important? Thinking in those terms, that can help frame a vision. Another big bucket of things that you can have people tap into is, is this kind of bigger picture, like when all is said and done kind of thinking. So, uh, and think about what's your purpose? So when you think about your true purpose in life, when all is said and done, you know, what type of legacy would you like to leave? Or what mark do you want to leave on your family or on the world? So to me, those are three kind of big buckets of questions, passions, values and purpose. And within those three buckets, there are a number of specific questions you might ask to have someone reflect upon those things. Uh, and as they begin to do that, uh, and especially if you have time to get beyond just a question, I like to tap into each of those three big buckets, if you will, and not only have people think about what's going on for them reflectively within each of those spheres, but then begin to look at the, the areas where they overlap and intersect. So where do your passions, your values, and what you see is your greater purpose, where do those begin to come together for you? And as you begin to look at those points of intersection, that's how you frame that vision for your future. Okay, now I see it. Now it's, it's, it's becoming clear. This is what I want my life to be. Awesome, Melvin. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate sure. it. One of the things that uh, comes to mind now is kind of moving the conversation from sort of an individual level a little mm. bit, like thinking about practices that I can engage in and, and all of this, which has tremendous value to looking at in relationship with other people. Right. What are some of these impacts of these exercises and, and ideas we've been talking about? And also in community, like what is the role of community here? So to kind of frame this up, one of the things I loved in the book is, and maybe you can expand on this a little bit, is this idea of 
it's sort of emotional contagion that when there is, when I tap into this, we're calling it the PEA, positive emotional attractor. If I just think of positive emotional states, like when I tap into a sense of hope or a sense of joy or a sense of openness or creativity or whatever it might be, these sort of positive emotions and become more expanded as we've been talking about, the heart begins to open. Is that contagious? It seems to be that it is. And that's really interesting to start to think about that. One, like, who am I hanging out with? Like, am I hanging out with people who are sort of in that state? Maybe that's rubbing off a little bit on me, right? right? Which is pretty cool. And then two, if I'm building that in myself, if I'm able to tap into that, that sense of opening the heart when it begins to close, be a little bit more expanded, a little bit more positive, that seems to be having an impact perhaps on others. So maybe you could talk a little bit about this, like, is this really contagious? And and how does that kind of unfold? Yeah, beautiful question. Yes, yes, it is contagious. I mean, because emotions are contagious. But in particular, this whole thing we've talked about here around renewal and openness of the heart, etc. is catching. So, so you want to definitely do it for yourself. And I tell people, even though it may sound selfish, you want to kind of think about yourself first. Because if you're not doing that within yourself, it's going to be hard for you to infect others in that way. So we focus a lot on coaching, so dyadic relationships, and an approach that we call coaching with compassion. And to coach others with compassion, you want to help them think about their dreams, their visions, et cetera, of an ideal future, and help them think about what they might do to move in that direction, as we've been discussing for ourselves. But also a key component or element of coaching with compassion is the quality of the relationship. And it's through that high quality relationship where you create this positive emotional tone and make a genuine, authentic connection with others where you do become infectious. So you as a coach, whatever you're feeling, that person you're coaching is going to feel as well. So if you're not positive, if you're not exuding these things, they're going to feel that and catch that. So one, when coaching others in this way and thinking about the, the impact, you need to think about what am I experiencing? What's going on with me? Because that's going to, going to influence this person I'm coaching. So you want to not only do things and ask questions to help a person get in that state, but you can also help them do so by you being in that state and just having them catch that from you literally in terms of the emotional contagion. So in dyadic coaching, that can happen. We've also begun to talk about and think about and write about now more about this whole phenomenon of peer coaching, where it's not just necessarily a dyadic one-on-one relationship, but you can think about a group where we get together and we're all kind of finding a way to connect in this space and creating this positive emotional tone and contagion as we all pursue you know, our ideal selves or our vision for our ideal futures with help and support and assistance from one another. But also, again, this contagion that, that happens when we're all in this space, uh, it just kind of gets mutually reinforced as we're all feeling this and experiencing this. So there is power in that emotional contagion. And there's also power, I think, in the community when you're doing it Again, even outside of a dyad, but doing it in the context of a group of others. That's beautiful. One of the things I've been exploring on the show is if I look through, particularly in the West, particularly in the U.S., there's one of the narratives I think that's often told is sort of this idea of a lone hero. Yes. Right. Like the hero's out on their own and everything's on their back and, you know, all of that. And in some ways, I guess you could think about that like, wow, that's pretty inspiring when that happens. Like those stories can be pretty, uh, pretty amazing. In another way, though, I think, you know, it kind of gets into this idea of a lot of pressure on someone's back, like to really carry the weight 
by themselves. And that can have pretty detrimental effects, I think. So I've been curious about moving, like, I think there's benefit to self-help, to this idea of helping myself. And we've been talking about this. Absolutely. Don't want to take away from that. I just think what's under-discussed a bit is there's such an importance to community. And when I think about courage in particular, I think about how can we create conditions where other people can be more courageous, right? So take a little bit of the pressure off. I was actually talking to Amy Edmondson, who you might be very familiar with her work. And yes. one, one of these conditions seems to be psychological safety. If we can create psychological safety for people, they're maybe more likely to take risks, to share wild ideas, to do these sorts of things without the fear of being shamed or there being repercussions. And you've been talking a little bit about this too. And so I'm curious if there's anything that you would offer uh, additionally along these lines about if I want to think through the lens of community, like, is there anything I can do to sort of create conditions where people can be more courageous in their lives to pursue what matters to them around their dreams and their vision and their goals? You've talked about some of that, which is great. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that pops into your mind that, that you might add? Yeah, yeah that, that is phenomenal. And it does link closely to that, the work of Amy around psychological safety. When I talked earlier about this notion of being intentional uh, and, and drawing on um, intentional change theories developed by Richard Boyatzis. There are five kind of stages or discoveries for an, one to go through an intentional change process and make a truly sustained desired change in one's life. Uh, and the fifth and final discovery of that process uh, that resides right in the middle of the model is drawing on trusting, supportive relationships with others. And what that recognizes is making any type of kind of significant behavioral change. We talk about kind of self-help and self-development. It's difficult, but it's even more difficult if you attempt to do it in isolation. Uh, so what the theory recognizes is any type of change effort you want to make, any type of development and growth is going to be more effective or successful if you do it within a network of trusting, supportive relationships with others. So number one, if you're thinking about your own growth and development, you need to identify, okay, who are the people who are going to help me achieve what I want to achieve, whatever I'm working on? You know, so that whole myth of, you know, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and the Lone Ranger, I mean, that's a myth. I mean, we're never successful completely in isolation and doing it on our own. We have to rely on others. So, so, so recognizing and developing and cultivating and leveraging uh, that network that we have to support us, to provide that safety, to provide that accountability, to provide that support, that's so, so important. But in terms of looking at the aspect of your question around how do we kind of create that for others, it goes back to that notion of coaching with compassion. As we see ourselves as coaches of others and coaching with compassion, in essence, what we become is one of the individuals in that network of trusting, supportive relationships that help someone else in their growth. So I think always thinking about that. So thinking about, okay, what role can we play in helping and supporting others in their growth and their development and their becoming who they want to become? How can we provide that psychological safety? How can we provide that source of, of trust and support to help them feel courageous enough to do what they want to do? and know that they're not doing it alone, but we're there supporting them, challenging them, pushing them sometimes to, hey, don't be afraid, go for it, right? But supporting them along the way. And I think those two words go hand in hand, that challenging someone to push for more and to achieve more, but also supporting them. And in fact, I've heard that talked about in the coaching context, even in the sports arena, both are important, but the thing is you have to support 
before you can challenge. So I think keeping that in mind, so being that support for someone can allow you to then challenge them to be more courageous, to pursue these things in their lives that they truly want to pursue. Yeah, fantastic. Melvin, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're kind of coming toward an end to our conversation here. And we've talked about a lot today, and I really appreciate everything that you've offered. I think it's been fantastic and practical, which I know you will appreciate, <laughs> um, which is great. In closing, sometimes I like to ask people if they kind of have a closing reflection or closing thought, and it might be reinforcing something you've already talked about, but it might be something new that comes to mind. Yeah. If I'm out there and I'm thinking about, we've kind of had these themes of courage. We've also had themes of compassion running through the conversation. So if I want to live a more courageous or compassionate life, is there anything you haven't offered today that you might offer as, as kind of just a final thought here for people? Yeah, so as I think about that, and I love the words, and this is kind of, I don't know, sometimes things were kind of just meant to be. So so the fact that we've connected here and the theme of your podcast, this courageous life, and just the themes that are coming up today around the courage, the compassion, I think there's a reason why I'm your guest today. So, so, so I've been toying with for years, this notion of how to really kind of help people do just what your show really helps people think about. And I have this view, I haven't actually written it up yet and published it, but I've been scribbling down and taking notes and drawing figures. And so I, I have this, this view of the way to do what you just asked is to kind of think about a pyramid where we want to focus on four faces of a pyramid. And not, that pyramid consists of things that have to do with us internally and individual and ourselves, but not just focusing on ourselves, but simultaneously focusing on others. So Two opposing faces of the pyramid, as I see it and I've envisioned it, and I'm starting to write about it, are passion on one side. You really kind of want to identify your passions and have passions that you're pursuing, that you're truly excited about. But it's not just your passions, also having compassion for others. So those are two opposing sides of the pyramid, passion and compassion, both extremely important. And if you look at the other two opposing kind of faces of the pyramid, you have courage on one side where you want to kind of not only have passions, but then have the courage to actually go out and pursue those passions. But again, it's not just about you as a person, you as an individual. So the opposing side of that courage face of the pyramid is encouragement. So how can you not only have courage to pursue your own dreams and aspirations in life, but how can you be someone who encourages others to pursue their dreams and passions and, and other pursuits in life. And so to me, when you think about those four faces, passion and compassion, courage and encouragement, that's a way to live the life that you'd love to live, just to, to the courageous life as you describe it. But again, to do so not in a selfish way, but to where you're pursuing your own dreams and living the life of your dreams, but helping others to do the same. Back to that community aspect and that mutuality of like, we're not in this alone. So if I had to leave you with something, there's something there around that pyramid. Again, I haven't written up the article yet, or but I've been working on that piece for a while. And, and just this conversation here with you today is telling me I need to go ahead and get that written. <laughs> <laughs> and let me know when you do, because I'd love to read it. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting. You know, I was excited. Uh, I was excited coming in. I was uh, honored to be with you. And now I'm like even more excited. And like you said, I feel like this is kind of meant to be because so many themes on the show 
have been exploring kind of these four, you know, faces of the pyramid that you described. So there's so much synchrony, I think right. here, which is really, it's beautiful. Melvin, your work is fantastic. Uh, I'm a big fan. I'm so glad you were here today. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, if people want to find out more about you, what you're doing, the book or, or anything yeah. else, where this is the best place for them to do that? Yeah, so a couple. So, uh, so if you're looking for me personally, I don't do a lot of different social media uh, platforms, but I am on LinkedIn. So you can find me at um, Melvin L. Smith, PhD at LinkedIn. And you can find more about our book, Helping People Change. Uh, we do have a Facebook group, and it's called just that, Helping People Change. So you can find more about the book. And there's a community of people kind of sharing thoughts and ideas around the concepts uh, in the book that have been presented. So excellent opportunity there uh, to learn more about the book and, and to plug into that community. We also have, I just want to do a quick plug here, an app that's coming out this summer for the book. So we've been working with Psychological Technologies in the UK uh, organization now, and they're creating a platform of apps. And again, the, the platform should be released this summer. So be on the lookout for that. If you want more information on that, you can find it at helpingpeoplechange.app. Just some different ways to stay plugged into the, uh, the work that we're doing. And I'd be remiss if I didn't put in a quick plug for a coaching study that we're doing. So I know a lot of people listen to your, uh, your, your podcast may be interested in coaching. And we're, we're trying to conduct a global coaching study or a comprehensive coaching study where we find out what are the true competencies of effective coaches. We have ideas, but there really hasn't been a definitive study that in a very rigorous way has teased that out. Uh, so we're engaged in a study to do that. So if you're interested at all, please link, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll get you all the information if you're interested in possibly participating in that coaching study. Amazing. Melvin, it's been a privilege to be with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure. Uh, it's been a good conversation. I've enjoyed talking to you today, Joshua. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Courageous Life. I'd like to extend special thanks, as always, to my executive producer, Matt Donner, for all of the incredible behind-the-scenes work he does to make this show sound great. He's also responsible for composing the original music that you hear at the beginning and the end of every episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show and the conversation, please do share with friends because I believe that courage is contagious. And while you're at it, if you happen to be on iTunes, make sure you click the subscribe button or if you feel so compelled, leave a positive review. It encourages me to keep going and also helps others to find a valuable show amidst the many podcasts that are out there. Until next time, this is Joshua Steinfeld with The Courageous Life.